message we saw that there's a difference between admiring Jesus and truly following him. There is a difference between saying that our lives follow his every command and actually aligning our hearts and minds with the transformation that he has called us to. Following Jesus is worth it, but it's going to be hard. Truly following him is more than loyalty or periodic obedience. Being a true believer of Christ requires our entire lives. It requires that we give up control in full surrender. And it requires that we take on a new identity that is offered to those who are called children of God. The passage that Ruth Ann read for us from Ephesians 2 continues this thought. He firmly believes that Christians must act as those who have been called God's children. They must live a life worthy of being witnesses of the gospel, a life worthy of proclaiming the redemption that has been found in Christ. And it is clear from the argument in Ephesians 2 that this is not going to be an easy task. The lifestyle that must be adopted by those who have found salvation requires complete life change. From a former life that a person had before they met Christ and the life they must live knowing who he is and what he has done. In chapter 2, the author of Ephesians paints a dismal picture of human reality. He describes those who do not know Christ as children of wrath. These are people who are controlled by the passions of their flesh or their sin. Um, those who do as they please without considering or even fully understanding the consequences of their actions. The children of wrath live apart from the will of God, which in turn separates them from his grace. The writer of Ephesians equates this life apart from God as one would consider death. There is no hope. There is no life. There is nothing for those who live apart from God. Those who live in their transgressions are dead. The author of Ephesians paints another picture for us, however. He writes, God, who is rich in mercy, out of his love for us, while we were still dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This is a story of hope. Without any prompt or requirement, God raised his people up from the dead. He dared to take those who were enslaved to their sin and passions, and he breathed life back into them. For it is God's mission to bring new life to people through Christ. This new life was not one that simply just forgave sin but it fully reconciled the people back to God. Ephesians says that it lifts people up and allows them to be seated with him in the heavenly places. This new life in Christ offered reconciliation that places each person face to face with God. Further, he promised that he would continue to show grace to them in the future. 
the voice that's used in Ephesians is one of excitement. God promises to lift his people up and that he will continue to reconcile his people to him. Now, it's also clear that there's absolutely nothing that the audience has done to deserve this kind of grace and reconciliation. The grace that is offered here to humanity is the gift of God. It's not going to be some kind of human accomplishment. The people of God are those who have accepted his grace through faith. But even faith is not something that's worthy about boasting about. It is nothing in comparison to what Christ has done. This grace is the gift of God to the people of God. The writer in Ephesians also makes it clear that this gift of grace requires a response. The response of faith is meant to be the transforming work that acts within the people of God. A faithful response requires a new way of life. This is the new life in Christ that Pastor Matt was referring to last week. The transformation required when responding to God's grace requires our entire lives. It's not enough to merely talk about a faithful response. It is something that requires us to surrender ourselves. As the author of Ephesians tries to communicate this very fact, he turns to an example that is going to be real to his audience. This classic dispute between identity of Jews and Gentiles. As the nation that's originally chosen by God to be his people, the Israelites worked to ensure that their identity as a nation maintained its integrity. The people of Israel were discouraged from marrying outside of their nationality because they believed that it would avoid the contamination of other religions and other cultures that could possibly harm their relationship with God. And while people outside of Israel were encouraged to worship God and were encouraged to do so even in the temple, there was a clear distinction between those who were the true people of God and their Gentile proselytes. The temple itself was designed to maintain this distinction. So while the people of Israel entered into the temple to worship and to offer their sacrifices as a sign of surrender, those who were considered Gentile were outside. There was actually a wall that was built around the center of the temple that was intended to keep the Gentiles out. This was the closest they could get to worshiping God. And yet still, it wasn't enough. This was the point that they could go no further. Those who had not been fully assimilated into the community by both practices and through circumcision wouldn't even be considered as people of God. While they may have worshipped, they were still subject to his wrath. These were people outside of his promise who, though they still worshipped, were dead in their sin. 
And yet the people of Israel understood their national identity as something that made them the people of God. Their chosenness as the people of Israel made them the people of God. These were the people of promise, the people who were called God's children. This was a people, however, who had taken for granted their acceptance into the kingdom without necessarily engaging in lifestyle that were deemed worthy of the children of God. So in response to this, Christ's sacrifice was required for all people, those who had been identified as Gentiles, who were outside of this offer of grace, and those who were the Jews, who though they had originally understood themselves as people of inheritance, had let this go by taking it for granted, by not following the commands that were given them. All people were guilty of giving in to their fleshly desires and trespassing against the will of God. In Ephesians, though, we find that the resurrection of Christ was powerful enough to bring every person back from the dead. His grace was offered to both those who are near to his promise and those who were far from it. Those who were originally considered the people of God and those who were formerly outside of his promise. Because of this grace, there could no longer be any distinction between Jew and Gentile. They both had become the children of God because both had received their redemption through Christ's act on the cross. Christ in his resurrection had broken down the barriers. Ephesians says that he has removed the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Christ is the peace between the people of God and his Father. But it's also the peace that stands between the Jews and the Gentiles in their understanding of both nationality and religious identity. Both groups who are dead in their transgressions have been made alive in Christ. It is at this point that the true nature of God's calling to be his children takes effect. This calling now no longer identifies a certain group of people, but is offered to anyone who understands the nature of their sinfulness and their need to be brought back to life. This calling removes the mandate to follow the law of religion and frees people to be God's children as they live in faithfulness to him. The obedience of God can no longer be housed in a checklist of proper behaviors. Instead, a person must understand the heart of God and live in obedience to his spirit. A person is no longer considered a stranger or an alien in the eyes of God, but instead are his children. Those who understand the grace of God are the ones who become children. And this is a grace that requires full surrender. It requires transformation of every person's life. This grace requires that a person be brought back from the dead through that redemption that is offered them. And it is by grace that believers are saved. 
true faith so that no one might boast. This claim that the author of Ephesians provides to his audience is true for each of us, both individually and in our context as a community. It is clear that every person has experienced this death that is caused by sin. And it's clear that grace requires us to respond in faith. And this faith must be demonstrated by our obedience rather than simply being a matter of speech. The grace of God is something that calls us to transformation. Our old self must be surrendered and produce, produce a new person who has been made alive. As Pastor Matt said last week, it's easy to begin to admire the work that has been done in Christ. Admiring only requires that we know the story at hand. But this is not the kind of transformation that we are called to. Instead, we must give up our entire lives. For those who have been living outside of God's grace the majority of our lives, it's easy to see where that transformation is required. For those who have been subject to sin in ways who have caused our very being to be consumed, it's easy to see how addiction to our desires have alienated us from God. These are things that God calls a person to as they begin a lifestyle worthy of being a child of God. For those of us who believe that we've been believers in Christ for a long time, it's harder to recognize those things that have caused us separation. It's hard to see how the things that we've justified for so long bring us death and alienation. Regardless of whether we have great stories of God's saving grace, or whether we believe that God is present in our lives, there's transformation that still needs to be done. There are things in our lives that still cause us to be separate from Him. In many ways, there's a great danger that is posed to those who have been redeemed for longer periods of our lives. It's easier to condition ourselves to explain away our sin rather than to deal directly with the root of our problem. For just like the Jews, it is possible for us to consider ourselves near to God and yet live outside of his promise. It is easy for us to become complacent, to grow comfortable with the things that have brought us death. I know that for myself, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to church at least once a week. And according to my parents, I gave my life to Christ at an early age, but it's an age that I can't even remember. And it's easy for me to justify the things that do damage to my life because it's easy to just assume that I'm already part of that grace. It's easy to think things like, well, I'm not doing as bad as that other person over there. It's, it's okay because 
they do stuff when nobody's looking that is damaging to their lives and I'm not doing that. It's easy to say, well, I've done this, this, and this today. So it doesn't matter if I'm really not feeling committed. I've accomplished those things already. It's not really a big deal. It's really easy for us to consider obedience to some kind of law or code of ethics as a faithful response to God. It's really hard, however, to give God full surrender to what he wants for our lives. To allow him to go through our everyday choices and to point to those things that are not worthy of adoption as children. It is really hard to acknowledge our faith or to acknowledge that our faults are points at which our lifestyle does not constitute obedient response. If we're to take the author of Ephesians seriously, it's not enough to consider ourselves children of the promise. Instead, living as children of the promise costs everything we have. It requires that we acknowledge our sin and that our sin holds us in captivity, even as those who have accepted what he has done for us already. Living as a child of God requires that we leave behind our identity, much like the Jews were called to when they became one with the Gentiles. Regardless of the point of our journey, whether it's our first day or whether it's been 18 years or even more than that, living as a child of God requires complete transformation, whatever that may be at your point of life. We are no longer children of wrath, but children of God, fully adopted into his kingdom, as heirs who now have the opportunity to live face to face with him. As we go forward, we must understand ourselves as God's children, who are transformed by his grace and called to participate in his kingdom as heirs together. We must gather as people in his community that recognize our call to obedience. A community that must support each other. And we must challenge each other towards that holy life. So let every prayer that we give and every word that we speak and every part of our shared life together communicate the grace that has been given to us. And let us offer that to each other. For we have been adopted as his children. If you don't mind, I like to pray at this point. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, you have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and delight in your ways to the glory of your name.